the one place on the planet where I feel like I'm home. Revival is family. There's no performance. There's no striving. Hallelujah. We can just be who God's created us to be when I'm here. I'm able to just be me. And so that's so awesome. So tonight, I want to pray before I get into my message. How many of you feel the weightiness of God? You feel just another level, right? How many of you know we go from glory to glory? We're never meant to stay here. We're always climbing that ladder, right, until we break through. And so I want to try to build upon if I can, the foundation that was laid. So I want to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to arrest the building. How many of you know tonight the Holy Spirit wants to arrest you? He doesn't want, just want to visit you. He wants to stay, right? He wants to grip you. It's called the grippings of God where he takes us and he takes us to the next level. And so Holy Spirit, we just invite your fire in this room. We invite you to come. We invite, we shake off the distractions. We, we shake off the things that even throughout the day that we came in this room with. Lord, we ask that you would arrest our hearts tonight. We ask that you would take your fiery pen and you would begin to write on our hearts, that you would begin to burn something deeper. We say deeper, 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 deeper still in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So this, this house is family. I remember coming here years, actually before they were in this building and praying with Tammy in the city and believing God. So to actually see the baby birth, you are a beautiful baby. You are so beautiful. And God is so pleased with what is happening in this house. So it's so amazing to actually get to witness the dream of God wrapped in flesh, which is you. You know, because you start with prayer walks, right? Will talked about it last night. You never know what you're actually doing in the spirit realm when you're doing these prayer walks. They were praying for you and praying for this building before you were even in here. And so it's amazing to see this dream happen. I'm actually from New York City. I was born in the boogie down Bronx. I was born in the Bronx. And I want to share a little bit of my story. Because for years, I never wanted to share my story because I always felt shame connected. But the Lord said, in your story, that's where my glory is. You've got to share your testimony. I feel like we've lost even the, the beauty of sharing our testimony because we have all this rhetoric and, you know, nice cliches. But God wants us to be real and raw and authentic in this generation because when, we, when we're sharing our story, that's where the glory of God is released on the earth. When you begin to open up your mouth and testify, the glory of God comes in a room. You need to start sharing your story. I don't care how ugly it is. I don't care how dirty you think it is, because someone's deliverance is in your story. Did you know that? Someone's breakthrough is in your story. So I was born during the drug wave in New York City. How many of you remember the crack wave that hit New York? Everybody was stealing TVs. It was such a time. I was born <laughs> stealing TVs, and everybody was on drugs where I grew up in the Bronx. And I was born in the crisis of the middle of the drug wave. My parents fell prey to the drug wave. And I remember, you know, in my house growing up, there was so much crack and cocaine that my family, we thought it was sugar. So my sisters would go to make Kool-Aid and like, no, don't do that. That was my household. And the police got wind of what was happening. And at the age of three, I was sent down the stream of the foster care system. How many of you ever been in foster care? Right, I was sent down the stream. The reason why I call it a stream is because I believe right now in the foster care system, there are Moseses and deliverers that are being sent down that stream, but little do they know that they're actually being destined. God has a great destiny and calling on their life. It might look like a mess. The waves are raging. They don't know the direction, but God has a story for their life. So I remember as a, you know, being sent down the stream of the foster care system. I was born Angela Cornish. That was the name my mother gave me. But then I went into a foster home with the Rock family. You guys heard of Chris Rock. He's a very famous comedian in Hollywood. So I moved in with the Rock family. So my name went from Angela Cornish to Angela Rock. And, and when I lived in the Rock home, I lived, they lived in Brooklyn. Chris was doing comedy at that time. And I stayed with the Rock family for about three years, and his mom came and said, you know, we love you ladies. We love having 
but we can't keep you guys. And that's how foster care works. It's not always a permanent situation. And so she said, unfortunately, we've got to send you back into the foster care system. So at the age of seven years old, I go back into the foster care system. And when I went back into the foster care system, I'm going somewhere, stay with me. My, my adopted mom, I found someone who wanted to adopt us. She looked at me and she said, I'm going to change your name. And I said, you're going to do what? I'm seven now. I already had my name changed twice. You're going to change my name again? So she said, yeah, I'm going to change your name, but I'm not just going to change your first name. I'm going to change your entire name. And I'm going to name you de Havilland, Venice Brown, because that was her, her last name was Brown. I said, to who, to what, and to what are you going to do to me? You know, I was in the boogie down Bronx. We made fun of people with those names. I mean, Brandon, am I right? So she tells me she's going to change my name. Talk about an identity crisis. So from 17 to 14, I was looking to a generation shouting, would somebody please name me? Would somebody please define me? Would somebody please tell me who I am? So I went to the streets of New York, and I said, does anybody love me? And I found myself just lost in this. I was still in the system, even though I wasn't in the system because I had a certain mindset. So I had this massive identity crisis. Name changed not just once, but three times. So my adopted home, is this okay? Are we good? Can I share my journey? Is that good? My adopted home was full of abuse, physically, all kinds of things. I wouldn't even share in this room. Talk about trauma, lots of trauma. And I ran away at 14. And I packed my bags, and I said, I'm getting out of here. And I'm going. And, and my adopted mom's like, okay, what are you, you going to do? But I ran, and I found a park bench in New York City. And I went to sleep on a park bench in New York City. And I said, I'm going to camp out here, and this is where I'm going to stay. But along came a praying mama. Actually, it was a friend of the family. And this praying mama came. And how many of you know we need praying women in this generation? We need some praying mamas back in the streets of New York City. That's not popular anymore. But this praying mama, right, she went to Times Square Church. So she knew how to pray. Back in those days, David Wilkerson, so they were taught power of prayer. They weren't afraid of the person on the park bench. They weren't scared to touch the lost. So she came up to me. She said, what are you doing on this bench? Come with me to my house. I'm going, oh, Jesus, who is this person? Because she was smiling, and it was like oil coming out of her face. You ever meet those kind of Christians? <laughs> and I'm just, like, drunk because I was drunk too. And I walk into her house, and there's oil all over her walls. And I was like, is this a cult? But how many of you know every intercessor back in the day had a jug of oil? Okay, you guys might use coconut oil, olive oil, but back then it was straight up Crisco because they were praying in the spirit. Devil, get your hands off my children. So I walked, and then she had wallpaper. So the oil wasn't like invisible. It was like a handprint dripping, handprint dripping. And I'm going, oh, Jesus, and I'm drunk. And not only am I drunk and there's oil, but she's playing Ron Cannoli. Oh, Jesus. Come on. How many of you remember Ron Cannoli? So she's playing Ron Cannoli, and she's like, Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. And I feel like I'm on drama. I'm like, what in the world's going on here? And it's 818. That's the name of our ministry. It's 818 right now. So I'm assigned to you, and I'll tell you about that tomorrow. So she's playing Ron Cannoli. And she begins to prophesy over me as she's singing and dancing. And all the demons were, like, raging to get out of her house. You know, like, get me out of here. Because I grew up with hip-hop and Biggie Smalls, and I never heard of Ron Cannoli. But she began to prophesy over me. And she said, I'm going to not give, I'm going to take you to every revival meeting there is. So I was at every revival meeting like, I went from, the, from a chainsaw to a buzzsaw. I would go to every, every, wherever God was moving, Joseph Garlington, meetings after meetings. I, didn't, I wasn't even a Christian. 
But there was something about being in the presence of God. Let me tell you something, church. There's a generation outside these doors. And if you could get them in the presence of God, God will break the demons and the influence of the demonic off of their life. She didn't have a 10-core step program. I encountered the love of the Father. I encountered the fire of God. I encountered the breaker anointing in the presence of God. And then I gave my life to the Lord. 17 years old, she said, not only am I going to disciple you, but I'm going to take you off the streets and I'm going to even give you a home and I'm going to teach you what it is to be a young lady and what it means to be loved. I'm telling you the spirit of adoption is going to come on this generation. God's going to raise up mothers and fathers that know how to love them into life. So she never gave up on me. Even when I didn't know who I was, she actually passed away. She went to be with the Lord. And I am the fruit of her labor. She was not known. She was not a charismatic speaker. She was just a little faithful intercessor. You don't know whose life you're impacting. So, but I still had a massive identity crisis. And this message, this message is, I'm going to speak to women, but men, please do not check out. Because I believe right now the hand of God, God is starting to breathe on women in this generation. And there's a woman, a woman's movement coming on the earth. I literally am convinced of it. So men, please don't disengage. Because something, I'm telling you, in the breakthrough of the women is your breakthrough. So even though I, I was loved, I still had this question. God, I want to hear my name being called. You're talking about a person who had their name changed three times. I said, I don't need someone to tell me my name. I need you to tell me who I am before you. Have you ever asked God to reveal who you are before him? So I went on this journey and the Lord spoke to me and he said, Dehavlin, who do you think named you? And I'm like, God, okay, you're not schizophrenic. You're God. You already know. Why are you asking me this? said, because I want to reveal to you that I am the God who named you. And I'm going, oh, wow. And he said, I'm going to take you on a journey. So here's where the story starts for me. I was in Kansas City, and I was sitting. I, I joined. I ended up joining the night watch in Kansas City. I ended up going to Mozambique with Heidi. I ended up going all over the world preaching the gospel because I was so hungry for God. I didn't even have all the step. I just loved Jesus. But I was in Kansas City and I met a pilot. And he said, your name, tell me your name again. I said, my name's De Havilland. He said, let me take you through a history lesson. I want to tell you what your name means. And I said, what did you say to me? Because I remember God saying that he was going to reveal to me the meaning of my name. And he said, your name, let me tell you, I'm going to give you a history lesson. He said, during World War II, there was this plane that was built called the de Havilland. He said, but the problem with the plane is that the Defense Department did not believe in the plane's design. So instead of giving metal to make the plane to survive the war, they gave wood to make the plane. Say, hey, if you can do something with this plane, here's this wood. But they went on to create this plane, and it became... It was made out of plywood, but it became one of the fastest planes in the war. Because of the way that it could go, it was speed and it's light speed. And these, these are the planes that took out Hitler's regime in Germany. And the Lord spoke to me. He said to Haviland, I am the God who named you. And I framed you and I saved you through the wood of my cross, just like that plane. And I've called you to fly with me in the heights and drop bombs of intercession in your generation. I am the God who named you. And what you thought, listen in this room, some of you feel like you're a mistake, an accident, what am I doing? And God is saying, if you will ask the questions, if you will go a little bit deeper tonight, I'll reveal the meaning of your name, meaning the meaning of your life. So he began to take me on the journey. He said, I'm the God who named you. I'm the God who framed you. I'm the God who saved you through the wood of my cross. And suddenly this little crack baby's life began to make a whole lot of sense. And I had the beautiful... And I'm going to close up my testimony and actually get into my message. Um, I had the beautiful opportunity. <laughs> I know, right? Here we go. Got a black preacher up here. What did you expect? Come on, church. You know how we are. We're just getting started. I want to say something about that praying mama. My husband says that praying women are like pit bulls with lipstick on. They don't give up. 
They don't let go and they don't quit. It's time for the women to arise in this generation. It's time for us to come out of this oppressive spirit and come forth in fullness. So that praying mama, she really, she really impacted my life. She rescued me off the park bench. I want to challenge us that it's time for us to go and rescue those off the park bench of this generation. Now, some of them are on the park bench and they're going to Yale. <laughs> some of them are with suits and they're working on Wall Street. Some of them are little ghetto kids from the Bronx sleeping on. So we don't know what they look like. They're broken on the inside and everything looks good on the outside. But we need to start to say, God, give us eyes to see what you're seeing in my generation. Baptize my heart. I don't want to pass by like the Samaritan on the road, like, you know, on the way to church while they're just slaying on the park benches of society. Thank God this woman had enough Holy Spirit to stop for the one. Because she didn't realize the investment. How many people, are, you know, I was walking through North City and I thought, you mean God sees the one in a city like this and he's calling them out by name? Do you mean God cares about every single one in this room? And God has a tailor-made destiny for our lives in this room? In the middle of a city with millions and millions of people, God of all eternity is calling your name in this generation. But he doesn't want you to know it in here. He wants you to be so pierced with it that you begin to live differently. And you stop putting periods where God is putting commas in your life. And you begin to live differently. You begin to ask those questions. God, what was I created for? God, why was I born in this generation? Shake me out of lethargy. Just living and existing thing in a dull Christianity. You were made to burn and you were made to live for something more than yourself. And God is starting to arrest people off of the bark benches of society that have no form of religion. They just want him. They just want to see his glory cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Fiery preachers are coming forth. I'm telling you, God is going to start to baptize the evangelists. He's going to start to baptize the preachers in this generation. So, this praying mama, she's, I feel the fire of the Holy Spirit. I feel the fire of God. See, when the fire of God comes, we're so quick to try to get out of it. But what we need to start to do is say more, Lord. Release your fire on the inside of me. Till I start to burn with a vision higher than myself. I listen to these two men and something in me grips me and said, Oh God, give me a heart for the things that break your heart. God, break my heart over abortion. God, break my heart over the state of my nation. God wants to break our hearts. And you could still be a fiery preacher woman and have your brows on fleek. I'm not talking about religion. You can get your hair done. You can be cute. But you better have power on your life. I had to say that because sometimes I think we, we women, we think, listen, you know, I want to talk about a lady named Deborah. I want to talk about this prophet. Because I believe we're in a time where God is raising up Deborahs and Esthers. Can I tell you why I believe that? Can, you tell, can I tell you why I'm convinced that women are being thrust to the forefront of the debate? Women are going to either bring revival or they're going to try to hinder it through feminism. There is a women's movement coming, but the question is who is going to lead it? Is it going to be the seductive woman who took the head of John the Baptist, or is it going to be Esther or Deborah? That is the question. I had a dream in 2016. I saw a women's movement. I was standing at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. in the dream, and I saw thousands and thousands of women as far as the eye could see. And these women were like horses, and they were waiting to get permission to preach the gospel. And in the dream, I'm standing amongst them like, who are these women? I mean, these women are woke. All this woke stuff. These women were woke in the dream. You know, I'm woke, I'm woke. Everybody's woke, but they're all still sleeping. Like you woke. Everybody's woke, but nobody seems to hear the alarms going off in the spirit. Everybody's awoke, but who is hearing the alarms of God going off around us, all around us? They're ringing all around us. The babies are alarming us that the earth is groaning for the sons and daughters of God to arise. I'm telling you, 
So we're all woke. But in the dream, these women were woke. And they were like, their feet were like horses. And then I remember Psalm 68, 11. Great was the company of women who proclaimed the good news. And it was a company of women. And I heard in the dream a voice. And I knew it was Lou Engle's voice. And he was shouting, it's time for the women preachers to arise. It's time for the women voices to arise. And as Lou is shouting this, Matt, all these women tell, you know, like they begin to run like horses towards the altar. And I looked in the dream and I'm like, I can't even keep up with them. Their feet, like this woman, their feet are burning with the fire of God. Her feet are going to burn. She's one of those horse, fiery, prophetic prophets in this generation. She's going to burn. She's going to burn. She's going to burn. So in the dream, the fire of God is all over you. So, so in the dream, and the angels of the Lord are surrounding you because you've been pegged for an awakening, and the anointing of awakening is on your life. And I see an awakening rod coming out of you through your song, through your worship, through your love, through your devotion, through your writings. Everywhere you go, I see you taking ground back. Even grounds of stronghold cities that the enemy, I see people caught in witchcraft and different things. I see you going in territories and just by you showing up, things are going to begin to shift because you're there. So anyway, these women begin to walk toward the stage. See, the spirit of prophecy is going to break out in this room. How many of you know God's not boring? God's not religious. God is full of fire. How many of you know that I'm not prideful? I just believe the fire of God is here. I just believe the breaker anointing is in this room. Come on, Holy Spirit. Light this room up on fire. Come on, Jesus. Do we want to see a show or do we want the fire of God? We are the fiery ones, people of God. So the women begin to run. and They begin to burn. And as they reach the altar in my dream, Lou Engels says, well, I guess I'm done here. I can't do his voice. Matt can do it better. And so he says, I guess I'm done here. And I grab Lou and I said, no, Lou, you're not done. It's time for you like Elijah the prophet to cast an Elijah mantle on a generation of Elisha women. I said that to him in the dream. And he goes, what do you mean by that? Anyway, in the dream, we went on an elevator. And as we go on the elevator, we go down into this room at the Lincoln Memorial. And when we walk into this room, he says to me, De Havilland, when we enter the room, I want you to pray for them. I don't know what he's talking about. When we walk into the room, there's hundreds of women wrapped in black burqas, wrapped in Islamic garbs, wrapped in religious garbs, and all you can see were their eyes, and they were waiting for the promise of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28, in the dream. These women trapped in ISIS, these women trapped in religious garbs, I'm just going to say what I saw in the dream. They were waiting for the Western women in the Western church to wake up. They were waiting for the baptism that Peter prophesied and he talked about in the book of Acts. And they were waiting for the women to come. And you know what? They were looking for him. They were looking for Jesus in the dream through the burqas, through the eyes. But they were not just Islamic garbs. They were religious garbs. They were religious cloaks that had been on women since centuries in the church. These religious garbs. And God was so longing to rip them off and reveal that he was their husband and not their master. So in the dream, there were all along the Coca-Cola bottle, along the walls were empty Coca-Cola bottles, which I knew represented it's the real thing. What's the slogan for Coke? They were sick of the phony and they were sick of the fake. Let me tell you something, church. The world is not buying it. It is time for the raw, authentic power of God. How could Catherine Kuhlman, how could Amy McSeer, Simple McPherson, they had weaknesses, but they were able to preach. How could Finney preach and conviction would come upon people and people would start repenting of sin? Where is the repentance in the church? Let me tell you something. A holiness movement must come to the church. We don't want to hear that because that's not cool and that's not popular. Listen, but God is going to raise up a generation of preachers. They're not going to just preach, but they're going to love. They're not going to shout at you to be holy and not have any relationship with you. So in the dream, they were, they were waiting. The women in ISIS were waiting, but the women in the church were waiting. And I said, Lord, what are you doing? He said to me, right now, women are going to be thrust at the forefront of the debate. 
It's going to be with the abortion issue. It's going to be with so many issues. But let this be a sign to you that a woman's movement is coming. There will be a real and there will be a phony. And it's not that you'll hate the other, but you'll see it and you won't be blinded and get caught up in the, in the delusionment. I don't know. So then uh, uh, let's talk about Deborah. Let's talk about Deborah because to me, you have to have biblical reference. Deborah, listen to this. This is so fascinating about the life of Deborah. Let me see here in my notes. I'm going to get right into it. Judges chapter 1. So here's this prophet, Deborah. She's a judge. I got to take my bling earrings off. Come on now. I bought them today at CVS. Hallelujah. Had to have them because New York, you ladies, you make us step up to another level, New York. We can't do Texas, right? We got we to gotta come. We got to come correct. So Deborah, I, yeah, let's, yeah, let's, so here we go. So Deborah, the wife of Lepido. In Judges 1, we see that Israel is in a time where the, with Canaan, uh, the king of Sisera, I meant the king of Canaan, and the army of Sisera was, was ruling over Israel in oppression for 20 years in this story. We see that there's oppression. Israel is being literally assaulted. Sisera has 900 armies, uh, 900 chariots of iron, and he's oppressing the people of God. Because Israel chose to worship false gods in this time, all the village life had ceased in Israel, meaning there was no, people couldn't even travel on the roads. Imagine New York City shutting down. No one's able to travel. Thieves are robbing people. It is the worst time in Israel's history. I mean, it would like make Chicago look like, uh, you know, just a party zone. I mean, it was literally so bad that people had to take the back roads to get to work. Because thieves would just rob you in open. And none of the mighty men were going to war. And it says that in this time, there's this prophet named Deborah. And she is ruling Israel at a time like this. She's positioned at a time like this. Deborah was the wife of Lepida, Judges chapter 4, verse 1. Judges, uh, 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 she's, the, she's the wife of Lepida. The Bible says that Deborah's name actually, I mean, Deborah's function, actually, some scholars believe that she, her job was to light the temple lamps, that her responsibility was the keeper of the lamps before she was ever a judge in Israel. So Deborah's judging. She's an intercessor. So for 20 years, Deborah starts to cry out, Lord, deliver these people from this oppression. She's crying out to God for deliverance because her heart is broken over what's happening in Israel at the time. She's a mother in the land. And Deborah would sit under a palm tree between Ramah and Bethel. Now, the place that Deborah was sitting actually, it, uh, Ramah actually means high place. So we see that Deborah's sitting under this high place, and she's also sitting in this location, this prophetic, under this palm tree where the people of Israel would come to Deborah to judge the matters of what was happening in the land. So any conflict, any crisis, they would come to this woman. So Deborah not only was a judge, but she had the spirit of revelation and the spirit of prophecy on her life. She was able to solve the matters of her time. How many of you want to be able to actually solve the problems in our society? Deborah walked in this kind of anointing. She was able to strategically move in God in a time of crisis. How many of you know right now God wants to teach us how to move strategically on the earth with him like Daniel, like Deborah? So people would come to Deborah and she would judge the matters. She would solve the issues. She would solve the problems. Are we awoke? Are we good? Hallelujah. I must feel like I need the keyboard guy to come back up here. So Deborah, let me, let me get to my notes because I, I don't want to. Here we are. So she's, she's in this place. She's judging the people of Israel. She's, it says that Ramah and Bethel, Bethel was the place where Jacob wrestled with God. So she's, and it's called the house of God. So Deborah actually was located in a prophetic city. 
So it's very important, men and women, that God, you allow God to strategically position you in your cities, in your homes, on your jobs, where you need to be so that you can affect change in society. So your will has to be aligned with his will and moving with him in your city, saying, God, where do you want me to live? Where do you want me to go? Where do you? you have to let God in as your partner. This is not a time to do things in your life void of God's leadership, void of God's counsel, void of God's wisdom. We have to be a people that gets in the counsel of heaven like Deborah and say, God, even if I don't know, I ask that you strategically position me. The world is doing it. <laughs> They're way ahead of us, people. They're like, <laughs> God wants to give some of you in this room divine ideas with technology and business and solutions, even things with cancer. God wants to release his mind over the church. He wants to release his counsel and his revelation. And Deborah was moving like this. She wasn't just a prophet to the church. She was a marketplace prophet. She was a judge, and the only other person that was hearing God like Deborah was Samuel. Can you imagine being that kind of woman? That you hear the counsels of God for your family, for your husband, for your spouse, for your city and your region. Do you believe God wants to do that for you? Listen, ladies and men, you are not an accident. And you don't need to look at, you, listen, we need to admire women. I admire, I love some of the women that I see in the church and some of them even in the world, but there's something in your DNA that no one else on the planet has. And you've got to come forth in fullness. So Deborah, she would judge the people of Israel. She was strategically positioned between Bethel and Ramah. And my notes are all over the place, so just bear with me. She was one of the most respected prophets in the land. Uh, Jane Hammond says this about Deborah. Deborah was not only respected as a judge, but she, uh, she uh, was a woman of balance. She was a wife. She was a mother. She was a homemaker. She believed so much in the heart of Israel that she believed she had a spiritual vision for her city. How many of you have a spiritual vision for New York City? How many of you have a spiritual vision for your city? Deborah had a spiritual vision, vision for, the, for, her, for her nation. But Deborah had something else at the time here. And, and Judges, it says that my notes are all over the place, guys. Please forgive me because my, my computer keeps going out. But it says that Deborah, she had a heart for the men in Israel. So one day, here's Deborah judging, and God says, Deborah, the war is about to cease. I need you to summon, Bar I'm just going to tell the story. I need you to summon Barak. So Deborah is starting to hear prophetically what's about to happen, but it's not void of men. Deborah is actually awoke as a mother so she can put the sons in place. So Deborah, she hears the Lord. I'm just going to tell the story because my notes are all over the place. But Deborah is summoned by God. God says, Deborah, call the mighty men. I need you to call Barak because I'm about to shut Sisera's system down. There are things happening right now that God wants to shut down and he wants to use women to position them to put other people in place. So he says, I'm going to shut this demonic, oppressive system down. How many of you know God wants to shut human trafficking down? God is not okay with it. He wants to shut abortion down. God wants to shut the whole thing down. And he's doing it. And I don't care who rages in the media. God is going to do it himself. But he's going to use you too. Isn't that amazing that we get to partner with God? So God says to her, call the men. Call the sons. Because none of the men were fighting all of them were just kind of twiddling their fingers. None of them were in battle. Is this good, Will Ford? My husband's a scholar. He's probably like, okay, make sure you get it right. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank God you married a Bible man. But this is all in the word. So, so, she, so he says, summon the mighty men because none of the men were fighting because they were all afraid. Fear had gripped their hearts. There was no war activity. It would be like right now all of the men in battle, they just stop fighting. 
And God says, I need you to get Sisera, I need you to get Barak in place. So call him and tell him that I'm about to give him the victory. So Deborah summons Barak and he, she tells him, listen, God is going to give you the victory over Sisera. But you know what he says? He says, ah, Deborah, I don't want to do this without you. How many men in this room are saying, women of God, we don't want to do this without you. We need divine partnership once again. Listen, we've got to learn. We've got to get this thing right. Because there's a lot of confusion right now. But there's something about when men and women work together in unity, something powerful shifts and something happens. Not just in marriage, but on every level. So Barack says, I'm not going to go to battle without you. And then she looks at him and says, well, guess what, Barack? Since you won't go to battle without me, I'm going to, the victory is going to come through a woman. So what happens next? They go into battle, and God tells, God tells Deborah, when you go into battle, I want you to go on Mount Tabor. Now, Mount Tabor is the place where Moses and Elijah, the, uh, the place of the transfiguration happened. So God's already prophesying to her that victory is sure to come. He's giving them a prophetic picture. On this mountain, this thing is going to come down. But he looks at her and says, I need you to go with me. Now, Deborah never set out to go into battle. Deborah wasn't a warrior. Deborah was a judge. She didn't sign up to be the next greatest, best warrior. She didn't sign up to be a girl on fire. She just signed up to obey the will of God. Some of us need to sign up to say, God, whatever it takes. And if someone else gets the glory, so be it. I'm just going to obey you. And whatever you called me to be. I pray the fire of God over every woman in this room. Are you guys tracking with me? My spiritual mom, Jill Austin, said it's better caught than taught. Just, just, let's just ride the wave, okay? Let's ride the wave. So she, so she says, go to Mount Tabor. The victory is going to come. But he's, he, ref, he, he says, you've got to go with me. So this is the most amazing thing. They go into battle. Now this spontaneous beautiful song breaks out as they're going, Deborah's song. And Deborah had so much influence as they're going into battle. It says that the heavens, from the heavens, the stars fought. There was this heavenly battle that took place. Because Deborah had so much authority in the heavenly realms. Listen, people of God, we are so busy fighting these low-level demons. We're so busy wrestling with things on earth that we don't have any spiritual cargo or any spiritual authority or any spiritual anointing to actually th cause things to shift. And I believe God wants to teach a people and train us that we to move heaven and to release to God's heavenly decrees on earth. We need a generation to learn what it is to do spiritual warfare. We need a generation to learn what it is to get up into the heavenly place in the place of intercession. We are way too passive and afraid of the devil. We are way too passive and afraid of the plans of the enemy. But there's something about when a woman gets in that place and she begins to war with God, things begin to shift on her behalf and on his behalf. The battle was already won in the heavens when Deborah declared it. What are you declaring over your life? What is God telling you that you already have the victory in? Or are we constantly going to church services, praying and hoping that the breakthrough is going to come? Praying and hoping that we're going to get over anxiety. Praying and hoping that we're going to get over depression. Praying and hoping all these things that God is saying, if you will just get a prayer life, if you will just learn to war with me, I will shift things on your behalf. We're seeing it. We're seeing it. We're seeing it. We're seeing it in our city and we're seeing it in our nation. So God had already given Deborah this victory because she had a prayer life. She had been praying 20 years, and then suddenly God broke in. Some of you in this room, you've been praying for decades, and you've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and God is saying, now is the time. Just like Esther, it's time for you to rise. Listen, I feel dreams. I can feel dreams in people's hearts starting to come alive. Some of you have these big dreams and you feel like, oh, God, are you ever going to do anything with this? But I feel like the fire of God wants to land on those dreams. 
I feel that the Lord wants to breathe on some of these dreams in this room. Some of you, I, I, I could just feel your hearts. I feel like you're, you're like, Lord, really? You want to use me? Listen, Deborah was just one woman. And God used her to shift a whole nation. So they go into battle. The angels started to fight on Deborah's behalf. It says that, the, that, that from the heavens the stars fought against Sisera. And it, there's this heavenly battle that happens, but then there's this earthly rain that took place. So the rains start to flood out Sisera's army as there's these torrential rains that happen, and it begins to rain, and so Sisera's army gets drowned out. And Sisera has to get off his horse because some scholars believe that there was hailstones that were literally coming out of the heavens as Sisera is trying to cross this Kishon Valley. There's these hailstones. There's these angels fighting from heaven. There's all this stuff because of some little woman who had a prayer life. Some little woman who got a hold of God. I want to get a hold of God. I don't, I want to get a hold of God in my lifetime. I want to move God on earth. And I don't, I'm saying, Lord, deliver me from the fear of men because the fear of men keeps us back from getting a hold of God. We're so afraid to say anything in our society because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. God is wanting prophets. The hour is demanding your voice. How many of you want to get a hold of God? Because God is getting a hold of you. So Deborah, all this stuff is happening. One day I said, Lord, show me what's happening in the unseen realm concerning my life. Show me what's happening in the unseen realm concerning Brandon. Show me what's happening. Because, see, we're just walking through life, but there's all this stuff in the spirit taking place on your behalf. Do you realize that? As you're in this room, the Lord is fighting for you. Right now, Jesus is aligning things for you. There's things moving and shifting on your behalf. Listen, I, I, I'm telling you this because in the night, God will come to me in dreams. And in my weakness moments, when I feel the weakest, he'll show up with visitations and say, keep on going, daughter. I'm literally with you. He'll release prophets all around me. It's like I feel like I'm literally in this, you know, in this, you know, this visible realm. But there's all this invisible angelic activity fighting on my behalf. That's what happened to Deborah. Because God was tired of the assault of the devil over the people of Israel. Do you know that there's things that God is tired of? He's saying, I've suffered, this is way too long. I'm sick of abortion. I'm tired of it. Time's up. You know what the time's up? And I'm sick of the over-sexualizing of women. Time's up on that too. Because I want to bring my kingdom so that my son could return to this earth. So there are things right now that we feel are shaking the earth. Don't you guys feel it? It's not a normal time. The snooze button has to come off of us. Anytime a nation thinks it's okay to kill a baby outside the womb, up to the inside, outside, whatever, it's all wrong. And so God is saying time's up. And God is releasing things in the heavens on behalf of his people. But he wants us to get a boldness like Deborah. Deborah arose. And when she arose, guess what? Everything was set in motion. I believe there's an awakening for women that when you wake up because you're birthers, because you're mothers, when you wake up, something is going to wake up on the earth. Something is going to wake up. Something is already waking up. A sleeping giant is being awoken. God is going to rescue girls in Thailand and China in an oppression. Because he's saying to the devil, no more. And I'm going to make them like JL, and I'm going to make them like Deborah, and I'm going to make them like the Joan of Arcs of their generation. And maybe we're not in their time but what is your giant you've got to take out? Ladies, I'm telling you, you don't realize who you are. I don't realize who I am. Because we've been made up by makeup and by a framework. 
And God is saying, I want you to start to look and, I, and look in our words and look in our Bibles. And I've been convicted. We've got to look in mirror and see ourselves in the word of God. God used Esther. God used Deborah. I'm good. God used Deborah. God used Esther. God used women in their generation. Susan B. Anthony. God used these women. So the army fights. The Kishon River takes everybody out. I just, boom, 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 boom. Sisera gets off his horse. He runs into a familiar place because some scholars believe that Jael's husband was friends with, with Sisera. So he goes to her tent, and she's there, a strategic housewife. How many housewives in the room? I'm a housewife. I'm a mom. She's there. She sees this devil. She sees this guy. She says, oh, no, you don't. She takes the tent peg. She drives it through his head. I mean, she's a bold. She's a bold girl on fire. And she takes him out. Well, you know what she did? She gave him some of the drink. She gave him some milk. Come on in. She was strategic. She fed him, and then she took him out. <laughs> so she takes him out. She annihilates him. That's what the Bible says. She annihilated the enemy. And my husband told me this. He said, Dehavlin, when, when you stake yourself in your prayer tent to God's promises, like a peg, God will take out the enemy on your behalf. She had staked herself, JL, to God's promises. And like a peg, God used her to take out the enemy. Listen, this may seem like overly spiritual talk. But when you start to get in some real battles in your life, when you start to get into some real warfare and the enemy starts to get on your heels and to try to redefine who you are, there has to be something in you that's not just on a Sunday morning, but you've got to know how to war for your inheritance. When the devil's coming to you telling you, if you speak the truth, I'll kill you and I'll kill your children, there has to be something in you that says, go on ahead, just try it. I mean, you've got to know how to fight this battle. I feel like we've gotten just like this Christianity that's not in the Bible. Like, you know, I saw Heidi. I was in Mozambique. I was there. And I saw, you know, I heard the stories of witches walking through her wall, coming and picking her up off her feet and trying to, and she had to mutter out Jesus and these demons going back through the wall because she's taken a nation for Jesus. I mean, we don't even know what that's like. Because nowadays we're so in the bed with those same demons that when they show up, we don't know how to deal with them. But listen, we cannot have authority over what we allow. If, if we're partnering with this thing, we can't have authority. The Lord said to heaven, you cannot deal with all these things in your generation if you're sleeping with them. What are you watching on TV, De Havilland? I love you so much that I need your eye gaze. I'm not religious. I don't want to put loads of rocks on your neck. I'm not trying to bind you. I'm not trying to, listen, because I love Netflix. I watch the British programs. I, I love, I love uh, uh, Led Miz or whatever. But, but I love them all. But there comes to a place where in our generation, we've got to learn how to get intimacy and a prayer life and learn how to do spiritual warfare, women of God. There comes a time in history where you got to say, no, 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 not today, Netflix, not today, YouTube, not today, Facebook, not today, not today. I've got to get with God. I've got to hear the word of the Lord. I've got to learn how to pray. Oh, I've got to hear what Jesus thinks about me. Oh, God, I'm sorry that all these things are vying for my affections. Oh, God, if you would just take my eye gates so that I can really be a Deborah in this generation. So God wants to baptize so that we can win. Listen, we're going to win the battle. The meaning of Deborah, her name actually means bee. But not just any kind of bee. There's this amazing story of this kind of bee that Deborah, Deborah represented. There's these colony of bees that what they do, they do this. Oh, this is so cool. Let me just read this here. Because I'm just all, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, help me, help me, help me, Jesus. Help me, Holy Spirit. So here's the set of bees. So uh, 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 there's a social behavior of a bee. There's this bee. And what the, this bee does is she does this dance. Whenever she's about to awaken the other bees to let them know where the honey is, she will gather the bees through this, eight, this motion eight dance. It's called the waggle dance. 
And she does this dance, and as she's doing this dance, it lets off this, uh, like an alarm, and all these other bees begin to gather because they know through the dance where the honey is. That's what Deborah's name meant. So when Deborah began to awaken the men to battle, it was like she began to do this dance. I mean, to say victory is here. So everybody had to follow her lead because she knew how to move with God. She knew how to strategically move in and out of boardrooms and move in and out of places of influence. So the way that the bees knew where the victory was is because of Deborah's motion and because of Deborah's movement. There's a rhythm, a cadence, a dance in God. There's a timeline. There's a strategic way you live your life. Listen, you don't just live your life, just get up every day and do your own thing. You actually live your life yoked to the one that you love. So there's this dance that the bee does, and then all the other bees will follow the lead. Say, victory is over here. Victory is on this side. Now, I don't know what this means for this 21st century. I don't, I don't know how God is going to translate this into our own personal lives. But I do know that we are in a season and we are in a time where things are shifting and God is starting to position a new wave of leaders on the earth. And there's an old way of doing things and it's not bad, but God is saying that this, this, this right here, uh, it's not quite working. I'm raising up this new wave of millennial leaders, but they need to have the older generation with them. See, Deborah needed to have Barack. So all of you millennials in the room, I believe that some of you are going to fill the void that's happening right now with the shift in leadership. But God wants you to have the fear of your, the Lord on your life so that he can position you in places of high influence, like Daniel, in places of government, in places of, like, you know, uh, uh, pl the strategic places but he's saying, I want you to know who you are. And so Deborah had this kind of, she had this kind of anointing on her life. Another lady that, and I'm gonna, I guess I'm going to pray for some people next. But here's another one. I've been studying Joan of Arc because I've been so gripped with this one. She's, she's just altogether different. We all know the story. Here's this young girl. She starts to get visions. She starts to get dreams. Some people called her crazy. That she's going to be the one to anoint the next king of France. Can you imagine God telling you you're going to anoint the next president? <laughs> Can you imagine? You're going to be the one to anoint the next guy who's going to take over Apple. I don't know. But you're going to be the one to put him in place. So she actually believes what she's hearing. How many of you believe what you're hearing? How many of you have no idea what you're hearing and you need a, you're like, God, I don't even know why I'm alive. Just speak to me. Right? God's going God's gonna to baptize you with fire tonight. So she, so Joan of Arc goes, but they take her serious because they're losing. They go, okay, you know, maybe this little girl's right. Maybe she's right. And she goes, they actually let her go into battle. And Joan of Arc was so fierce. But there's something about Joan of Arc, as I was reading her life, when Joan of Arc would go into battle and go into war, everywhere someone would, would die, Joan of Arc would get off her horse and she would actually pray. And she would actually weep over the people who she was fighting against. She had all this compassion. She had all this love. She would weep into, she, the, the, the men around her would literally start getting on their knees and taking confession and communion because they would see the tears and the brokenness as she would fight the battles. And the Lord said to me something. He said, De Havilland, listen, if you don't have tears in this generation, if you don't weep over what I'm weeping over, even those women that are having the abortions, if you don't weep over whatever it is, the people you say need God, if you're not weeping over them, if you're not crying out over them, you have no authority over them. Because if you don't love them, you have no authority over them. And if all you do is rejoice in their downfall, you have missed the mark. That is not the gospel. So Joan of Arc would weep. She would weep and she would cry and she would get on her knees. And, and then the men in the battles, they would, they would take communion as they're taking these people out. I mean, it's kind of weird. But it was like, that's the kind of love that she had. She never wanted anyone to die. 
But she knew that it was blood that was required. But she wept. The Bible, I mean, not the Bible. She should be in the Bible. One day, Joan of Arc was in battle. Is this good? Joan of Arc was in battle. And as she's in battle, they say that she got struck with an, uh, with, uh, in a buttocks. <laughs> with a boom. What do you call those? Arrows. She was so fixated on the call. She took it out. She threw it on the ground, and she kept fighting. One time she got struck in her, and right here, she, it says that she took it out. She kept fighting. They had to actually take her and say, okay, we've got to nurse you back. But that's how much she, and I said, Lord, is that, is that possible to have that kind of love for you? Is that possible to have that kind of perseverance in a calling that when the hits of the enemy come, you can just say, you know what, this is a distraction and God, I'm going to keep on moving. She pulled it out of her buttocks and she kept on moving. Listen, there's been times I've been in depression. There's been times I've been weak and weary, but there's something of the Holy Spirit that comes up and say, okay, baby girl, you've got to take this arrow out. Maybe they meant it for evil, but I will still use it for good. Maybe life came to take you out. Maybe you were sexually abused. Maybe your parents sent you down the stream of the foster care system, but I am the Holy Spirit and I'm able to take this wound out and I'm able to anoint you and I'm able to call you and I'm able for you to run with me. So she took it out and she kept on fighting. God wants to strengthen us in this Christian walk. We cannot do this thing apart from Holy Spirit. Christianity is not a flashlight and a pop scream and all this other stuff. This message will cost you everything. But there has to be something in you, Holy Spirit, that says, God, anoint me. I want to go the distance. Don't you want a 30-year, 40-year burn? I just turned 40, and I'm looking out saying, God, make me a voice. Make me a voice in my generation. I don't want to just do church and exist. Oh, God, when abortion ends, could it be said that I was with Matt Lockett, that I was with Will Fords? Could it be said that I actually did something, that I didn't just stare at Facebook all day or just get so consumed with me, that I was so me gazing that I missed the moment in history when you were doing something on the earth. So Joan of Arc took that thing out and she kept on moving. Women, there is an anointing coming on you in this generation. I don't know how it's going to happen, but what I saw in my dream, listen, after I had that dream, I want to tell you a true story because I don't want you to think I'm just making stuff up here. After I had this dream, this Muslim girl by the name of Rifka, you guys might know Rifka. Rifka Berry, when the pastor went to baptize her, he came to my house and said, the police are looking for me. I baptized this little girl. I've got to find a place to stay. I'm going to be arrested. And so he came into my house, and he's sitting there, and he goes, we need to pray right now. We need to pray because her parents want to kill her. And I said, are you serious? And so anyway, by a series of events, I had the opportunity to meet with her when she was, here's this little girl on the run, Running from honor from, from her parents. She honor killing. She had stage four cancer. Did you guys know that? She had stage four cancer at the time. Lost all of her hair, blind in one eye. And I'm sitting with her and I'm saying, Rivka, how do you love Jesus? And she just starts looking at me and saying, he's all worth it. He's so worth it. God is so worth it. And I'm like, look at this end time Deborah. Look at this end time Esther. And she said, I believe God. I believe that I'm going to see a revival in my generation. And I'm getting so convicted. And I'm going, Lord, I don't even know. I don't even know how to be nice to my neighbors, Jesus. And she's telling me that she loves you and she's dying of cancer. This little girl got completely healed of cancer. She, all of her hair, she's preaching throughout the, she's preaching, she's actually in law school now, but she's leading Muslims to Jesus in her, making a mat all over the place. This is the type of women that God is raising up right now. And she, she still has to have bodyguards. I don't know if you guys know that. She still, but she says, I will die preaching this gospel. And she's going to law school now. Because she wants to actually change society. Another friend of mine, Erica Grieve. I think God gave her that name because she grieves. God told Erica, I want you to go into, uh, into Hollywood. And I want you to subpoena the conscience of the entertainment industry on the issue of human trafficking. 
So Erica starts to go into Thailand and starts to go into Cambodia and starts to go in all of Southeast Asia. And when she would show up, the girls would say, we were waiting for you to come and rescue me. She's rescuing them out of the Boca Raton. She's rescuing them out of uh, all over different parts of Africa. And she's literally being called mama in nations, war-torn nations. She walks in, they put pistols to her head, and she says, I'm taking these children. And she's got hundreds of kids now. This little girl from L.A. who went to Berkeley got a bigger vision for her life. And now she's rocking. She just called me from Hawaii. What are you doing in Hawaii? I'm resting. But right back on the mission. Her ministry is called Unlikely Heroes. She just did a TED Talk. God's using Erica. What's your mission? What's your calling? What's your burning bush? What's your assignment? And then I'm going to pray for you. I don't want to keep talking here, but I just want to let you know it's happening in our generation. But it comes with saying, God, show me something. And I understand pain. I understand there's seasons where God doesn't want us doing anything but sitting in a prayer room and getting sozo and getting healed and getting delivered. And I had to do that in Toronto. And I probably have to do that after I leave. But there comes a point where you go past your sozo and you go past your inner healing and you start to look around and say, God, what am I called to in my lifetime? Because this generation is going to do something massive. I can feel it in my bones. Some of you might need to move to D.C. I don't know what it is. But I believe there's callings dropping in this room right now. I believe there's commission. I'm starting to feel commissioning starting to come on some of you. I need the keys. Some of you are going to get baptized in fire. I'm starting to sense a shift happening. And the pools of God, in the pools of God, 